Hey, this is Ali Ballas, and I am a victim of the 2020 lockdown. All joking aside, I just want to hang, and I've heard a lot of people saying the same, and sometimes with people who I don't even know. And as we've come to realize, that is not okay during a pandemic. Even though we can't meet in person, doesn't mean we can't get outside of our bubble. This is about learning new things, stepping outside, and all while staying home. Just because we can't hang, they still can't hang. This week on Can't Hang, it is our season one finale, and I hang with Gina Osborne, who held maybe the coolest job ever, FBI Special Agent. Since retiring from this incredible career, Gina is now a professional speaker, business coach, and fellow podcaster. We speak about all things FBI, her training, the television versus reality of her job, and even more. Gina is such a boss and has the best stories. You guys are going to love it. And now it is my absolute pleasure to introduce you to Gina Osborne. So welcome to Can't Hang. As I mentioned this week, I'm hanging with Gina. So welcome, Gina. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. I'm so excited to have you. So I have been so excited for this episode for a while now. Um, I saw Gina's profile. I don't know if it was an article or something that I followed on LinkedIn, but I was like, okay, yep. Like I have to contact you because I'm so interested in your story. So your career seems like something, you know, out of a movie um, for, you know, someone like myself who has like a pretty vanilla career so far. Um, I'm so excited to hear about, uh, about your life. So, so I guess we can get right into it. I guess we'll start from the start, if that's all right. Why were you first interested in being like in, in the military? Like this is, I don't know, as a young woman, I find that so scary. So, um, what made you, uh, so interested in that? Well, I think I was more interested in, just having a life of adventure, you know, being this international Mm. woman of intrigue. So I really wanted more to work for the CIA. And I was in my second year of college and I was a cocktail waitress at a comedy club. And I was trying to figure out how I was going to make it into a four-year university and pay for it. And a young man sat down next to me and he started telling me about the Army's counterintelligence program. And he said that I could get my four-year degree, I could get all this great experience, and then when I finished, I could go to work for the CIA if they accepted me. And so I thought, wow, this is like the best case scenario. I could go into Europe and chase spies in the middle of the, well, at the end of the Cold War anyway. And the next day I went down to the Army recruiter and I signed up. Oh my gosh. Like, honestly, do you ever like, just like think about, I don't know, I guess from my experience, I've never met anyone that has worked for any intelligence agency. So, um, I'm always like just blown away by this. So like, were you ever at any point in your career? Like, wow, this is like so cool that I'm getting to do this. And like, this is just such an interesting thing. And as you say, like living like a life of adventure, obviously was your goal. And I, I, I think from my opinion, that you achieved that. Um, So what was that kind of like living like a day-to-day life? 
You know, so my first assignment was in Belgium. I had to go through basic training. We'll start with that. That was hard. Uh, It was a lot of running and jumping and uh, yeah, it was a lot. (laughs) It was a lot. Sorry, I don't even know where to start here. You you take the lead on this. I don't even know where it starts. Yeah, well, this was way back in 1987. And so we had women's platoons and we had men's platoons. So I was in, of course, a women's platoon and there were 40 of us and we all slept in one big bay and all of these bunk beds. And uh, so going through that, I mean, it was definitely an eye opener uh, because you have people yelling at you all the time and, uh, you know, a lot of discipline and hut hut hutting here and there. And then at one point they were trying to figure out if women could train with men. And so they took five of the biggest women, and I was one of them, and put us into a platoon of like 40 or 60 men who hadn't seen women in who knows how long. And they had us (laughs) train with them for an entire week. So that was an interesting thing because I don't think women were, um, gosh, I don't think the training was integrated for maybe, I don't know, a decade after that. And so so anyway, it was just a really interesting experience. and, And the five of us got together, the five women, and we said, okay, we can't, we know we're not going to be the best and Mm. we can't be the worst, but we just have to make it through because whatever we do, it's going to have an impact on all of the women coming behind us. And, you know, we were thinking about that when as 20 something, you know, 18, 19, 21 year, year old, years old. So we did it and we made it all the way to the end. So, um, yeah, it was quite interesting. And then at the end, you know, they said, okay, you're dismissed. And there was no fanfare. There was no great job, nothing like that. But the female drill sergeant from the male's platoon walked up to me and I was filthy, dirty, muddy. I had camouflage makeup all over my face and she said, are you a male or a female private? And I thought to myself, okay, um, is this a compliment or what exactly is this? But I think that was her way of saying, uh, you made it, you did it. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And any um, other respect of life, you'd be maybe offended, but I feel like that's like a compliment in exactly. that scenario. Exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah. And I'm sure, sorry, not to speak for you, but I feel like that's something that's, you know, happening a bit more, uh, you know, in, in this century, in this decade, you know, female firsts and, and there is like a huge weight that must've been on your shoulders and, and for a lot of women in a lot of different fields. So, uh, like kudos to, to you and those five other women, because I'm sure, you know, if you would have failed miserably to put it nicely, um, there may not have been uh, such advancement in, in women and being in these fields. Um, oh gosh, that's ve- that's very very nice. I'm sure there are a lot of women in between who uh, did a lot of great things. For but, sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was definitely a good experience. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And and I think that it's so interesting. So. Um, as you know, a young person, I was not alive for any of the Cold War. Yeah. Um, so I, I am always like very, you know. I don't want, I don't know what the word is, maybe perplexed by it because I, I just don't understand. Like I really haven't lived through many wars at all that I've been personally impacted by. So can you kind of speak to the ways that like when you were overseas in, in Europe, like this life that you lived in and, and what your kind of like assignments are, if you're 
if you're, I don't know, allowed to talk about that? Is that fair to say? Sure, sure. So my first assignment was in Belgium, and that was at the Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers Europe. So all of the NATO countries were participating there. So there was military people from all over, uh, all of the NATO countries. It was really an interesting time there. And then I did that for two and a half years, and then I was assigned to this specialized team that investigated the highest profile espionage cases in the European theater. So back then it was sort of, you know, it was the East East against the West. And so we would be going after um, anybody uh, who was affiliated with the United States military who was selling secrets to our enemies. So we Mm -hmm. just worked a lot of different interesting cases there. And I worked one spy case uh, on an individual by the name of Albert Sambale, and this was going into Desert Storm. Um, and so he was trying to sell troop deployment information for his unit, and they were in Kuwait at the time, and he was trying to sell it to a Middle Eastern entity. So that was those were the types of cases that we worked, and I wound up working that case, and I was present when he was arrested, and he wound up getting 34 years in prison. But it was really a fascinating time, the Cold War, because, you know, it was was the the KGB and the CIA and you know the 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 uh, Soviets against the Americans and and it was really just a, an interesting time because you know they were getting secrets from Americans you know from American spies to the point where you know they may have won a war had we gone into a, a real war so it was just right. a really interesting time because we were sort of um, behind the scenes but we were definitely in the mix of it. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that sounds so cool. It's like a movie. Like, how do you, uh, I don't know. I just think that's so interesting. And and so how did you like, when you say you were chosen to be a part of this like team, how, how does one become like this? Like, how do you kind of progress through? Is it kind of like, I'm thinking very traditional jobs here, so correct me, but I'm thinking like, is it a promotion or is it kind of like a a task force or uh, like, how does one get chosen for these types of things? Do you have to apply or are you handpicked? Yeah, well, for that particular position, I was handpicked. I went through some training and there were very few women uh, back then going through this training that I went through and they needed women and they needed people who were good at the job. And I hope, I like to think that I was both. (laughs) So, um, so that's, that's how I was selected. And so I wound up moving from Belgium to Frankfurt, Germany, but a lot of that comes from, you know, in order for them to have allowed me to go to the training in the first place, it was all based on reputation and being a hard worker. And that's why I tell young people, it's so important to start early on building your reputation. And you have to think about that and make really good decisions because especially in this day and age, when people are going out on social media and saying things and doing things and, and posting pictures and all of that, you just have to really be aware that by doing that, you may take away some of your opportunities because mm. an employer may not want to have you represent their brand if you've got a, repu- a certain reputation online. And um, and so that's just something to, to think about. But it was all based on working hard and, and building my reputation because I was relatively young at that time. So, mm. um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I got selected. 
Yeah, I always, I always tell my parents, I'm, I'm like a bit jealous of them because they didn't have social media. You know, there's good <laughs> things and bad things about internet. And, you know, I, I hope I'm making a good reputation for myself, but, you know, there wasn't that extra, um, extra element, I should say. So you're going to for sure laugh at this question. And it's, I, but I have to ask you and I'm prepared to be embarrassed, but um, it's one of my favorite shows ever. So have you ever watched the show Quantico? Uh, I <laughs> have think you watched this? I think I've watched one episode. Okay. So it's probably nothing like what you did for training at all. Like it's probably like a Grey's, Grey's Anatomy doctor situation where it's, <laughs> kind you of, know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't, they don't okay. allow us to uh, carry guns or uh, when we were going through the academy, we weren't even agents yet until we graduated. So yeah, it was a little, uh, a little, a little different, a lot different maybe, <laughs> but it is, so it, it was, it's more entertaining. Watching, watching it on television is much more entertaining probably than it for actually For sure. Was. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, but what was the training like? Like, so you say like you moved from, you know, military to FBI, but I can't, I don't know, I can't really get a grasp of like what you would have to learn in order to, to become an agent in this field. Like what, what type of skills like were you uh, trained with and, and how did this training like go? Well, the average age going through the FBI Academy is 31. I don't think a lot of people know that. It's the it's a second career for people. So it's very competitive to get in. At the time when I got in back in 1996, I think fewer than 1% of the applicants who applied actually made it to a seat at the Academy. So it was super competitive back then. And so you have all these attorneys, you have accountants, military people, law enforcement people, um, just all different types of, of people go in. And it's really because the FBI, you know, they want to have people in, in every field. So, you know, PhDs go through. Um, I remember a zookeeper went through a class. Oh my God. Yeah. So they want to have people from um, all walks of life who have all these different mm-hmm. experiences to get in. And so essentially what you learn at the academy is, you know, you have all the training about the law and how to conduct investigations, but then they also teach you how to to uh, shoot. So you know, we back then we had to qualify with a MP5, a uh, shotgun, and a handgun. And then we would have uh, defensive tactics where we would learn how to arrest people and put handcuffs on people. And then also, you know, doing grappling and boxing and other things like that so we can defend ourselves. And then there's a town called Hogan's Alley. And that's where we would do the practical exercises. So it had a bank and it had apartment and, you know, like a and a apartment complex or a motel and and oh. a trailer park. And so we would uh, train how to do search warrants and arrest warrants there. So really, you know, it's, it's uh, back then it was 15 and a half weeks and we pretty much trained, you know, how to conduct ourselves. And a lot of it also was understanding the history of the FBI and, and really understanding how to represent or how important it is to represent the brand of the FBI because, you know, it had mm-hmm. been around for almost 100 years or maybe 90 years by the time I got into it. And there were a lot of people who came before us. So yeah, so that you learn, uh, you definitely learn a lot going through the academy. Yeah, no, that's insane. Like I, it's so cool to me because, you know, you don't think about these things until someone like yourself is is talking about it. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Like I know these careers exist and I know, uh, 
well, I, I probably don't know the extent to which you um, use these skills, but it's just so interesting. The training that, that you go through, it, it's so mind blowing. So there must have been like an aspect in your job, of course, of like confidentiality. So was that difficult to, you know, handle with family and friends, like to be, I don't know, was there some aspect of like living two different lives that I think that's a bit uh, extreme, but you know what I, you know what I'm trying to get at here? Yeah, I think, you know, you can't really talk about your cases because, again, mm-hmm. the confidentiality. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was very fortunate because my husband, he was in the military with me and he was oh. a counterintelligence agent as well. So he understood what I was going through. I think that's mm-hmm. a lot of problems with um, with women in this field. And, and when I entered the FBI, there were only 14 percent of all agents were women. And when I left, only 20 percent. Uh, of the agents were women. So it really didn't go up all that much in a 22 year period. But, you know, when you're in your thirties, if you're the average age is 31 going through the academy for women, you know, by then they may have kids, they may have spouses who may or may not want to pick up and go anywhere in the U.S. because that's what you have to do. You don't find out where your field office, your first field office is going to be until you've been in the academy for about five weeks. So, oh, wow. so yeah, so it's, it, you definitely have to have an understanding um, family if you're going to go out and, and do something like this. But I, I really, I don't think a lot of, you know, people were interested whenever I would say I was an FBI, I didn't have to hide the fact I was an FBI agent. Um, but again, we couldn't really go into details of, of what we did every day on the cases we were working for obvious reasons. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I was very fortunate to have a supportive family when I was going through it. Okay. Interesting. So were you mostly uh, stationed like in the U.S. or was this like more of like a a worldwide position or uh, Uh, yeah. For me, I was very fortunate because I'm from California and uh, my entire career, I was assigned to the Los Angeles field office. However, I did 18 months in Washington, D.C. in order for us to promote to the executive level in the FBI. We have to do some time in um, at at our headquarters. So I did 18 months there and I came back to LA. And then I was very fortunate. I got to travel quite a bit. I traveled throughout um, Southeast uh, Southeast Asia. I went to Egypt, uh, Europe. I I just had some really um, interesting assignments uh, working overseas. So, but primarily it was in Los Angeles. um, And then I did a lot of travel with that. Wow. What great places to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. I'm so, obviously I'm from the Toronto area. So man, I would love to be any of those places really. But so I guess my question for you is like, if anyone's like interested in this field, like how, like what advice would you give them? Like what, like, you know, positives, negatives, like what, what type of things would you advise someone on like going into, you know, a career such as yours right now as, as a young person, I guess. Well, I tell all the people who come to me and asking to ask about going into the FBI, you know, I tell them to find what your passion is, because again, it's a second career. So you really want to do something that, that you're really, really passionate about. But, you know, really, I I think nowadays you can do anything you put your mind to. I mean, you have access to everything on the internet, you can research things, you can learn things. And it's just a matter of understanding, okay, how do I get there and creating a roadmap? And uh, that's what I do with my clients. I 
do some um, coaching, executive coaching. And so in order to get to, you know, point B and you're sitting at point A, what are all the things that you need to do in order to get there? And it's not just, okay, I need to get a college degree. I need to do this. I need to do that. For me, in order to get into the FBI, I had to have a top secret security clearance. So that means I had to go back and make good decisions, you know, so I didn't get in trouble and I didn't do drugs and I didn't do all of these things. So it's important as a young person to understand what it is that you, you know, if you have an idea what you want to do um, and go in that direction and you may find, I mean, I thought I was going to go into the CIA and I wound up in the FBI. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, you know, so I kind of went to point A to point C to point B, but um, <laughs> you know, you just never know. You just have to follow, follow, you know, what happens. However, you know, having a plan and, and, you know, understanding what you need to do in order to accomplish that and then make good decisions to get to that point and, and doing the work, doing the work is very, very important. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've mentioned this a couple of times, but uh, I think it's important to note, like, obviously you were quite outnumbered gender speaking. Uh, Did you find this to be like a, a, barrier, like both, you know, mentally and uh, physically, I guess, speaking. You know, um, I'm I'm a, almost six feet tall, so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a I'm a larger woman, and yeah, so I think um, I don't really I didn't see. I mean, obviously, I was more often than not the only woman, or maybe one of two women in the room at mm. at, any, at any given time. So I wasn't surrounded by a lot of other women, um, but there were other women who were working in my my field. Uh, even when I retired from the FBI in 2018, I would go to meetings, chiefs meetings for chief of police. um, And I would still be the only woman in the room because when you get Mm -hmm. up into the higher executive ranks in law enforcement, there aren't a lot of women, but there are women. So that's, so that's definitely a good thing. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think it really, I I think that I had to sort of, you know, act in a certain way, or at least I felt that I had to act in a, in a certain way. But then I realized that I actually didn't. And I'll give you an example. When it came to, you know, when usually when you go into a male dominated field, or if you're a woman going into a male dominated field, sometimes mm-hmm. you feel like, okay, I have to be macho, or I have to be rough and tumble, or I have to be this, mm-hmm. or I have to be that. Yes. But then I realized as I matured and I got in, uh, you know, I've been in law enforcement for a long time, I realized that it's my feminine skill sets that are really what, what make me be a good leader. So, and those, Mm. and those were problem solving. I was a great problem solver, really good at communication, really good at networking with people. And I think the, you know, the more wise you get as a leader and you, you realize that you don't have to act a certain way that you're not, because you're going to be much more successful if you take the skills that you have and make those better. And and that was really the reason why the FBI hired me. You know, I thought, okay, yeah, I've got this great counterintelligence experience, this great military experience, but what they really needed and what they really got was somebody who could pro- solve, uh, solve problems and somebody who can get the job done and, and to come up with brilliant ideas and execute them. So, uh, so really that's what I tell young women is, you know, think about what you're good at and, and don't take that for granted, you know, work on those skills and be the best at those skills. And that's how you're going to really make a name for yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so glad that you say that because I think that that, you know, resonates in a lot of fields that, uh, 
I think, and it, like you say, I think it is somewhat inter- internal as well that like women feel like when they're in these fields surrounded by men, you know, they, they do have to bring out this masculine side, but yeah, you're right. Like they hired you and, and, you know, I, I would never want to think it's tokenism. Um, although maybe it isn't in some industries, but for these, these subsets of qualities that you have. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I think that that's a good reminder really for women entering any field that is, you know, concentrated with men as, as we see. So this is a great segue actually, because you're beginning, you know, this new and exciting journey, which is your own podcast. So, um, evidently it's called lead like a lady. So for those who are interested, like, can you give us some background on this project? Because I think, you know, as we were just talking about, um, there's some great women that make incredible leaders, uh, that you're highlighting on this project. Yes. Yes. So I did a true crime podcast last year called behind the crime scene. And then this year I just started started thinking about, you know, what I can do to share my experiences with other women who are coming up behind me. And so I created this podcast, Lead Like a Lady, and I, and what it does is we highlight, it features amazingly strong, incredible women who have made it to the top in male-dominated industries. So I have a woman who was the first African-American female Navy pilot, U.S. uh, Navy pilot. So she was a first. And then I also have a woman who is uh, an executive for uh, the Angels base, uh, baseball franchise. She's the highest ranking woman there. I've got women who are crisis managers and attorneys. And um, I have a female director who was the first woman to gross $200 million at, at the box office. So really what I do is I talk to these women and just sort of figure out what their lessons learned and what unique characteristics that they brought to the table to Mm-hmm. be successful. In fact, one that stands out to me is a lady by the name of Liz McKinley, and she runs a $200 million petroleum company. And back in the day, you know, when she was coming up back in the eighties, you know, she worked in, she was the only woman working in a male dominated field. And whenever she would go to get coffee, I guess they had these, this electric car or something. And the men would chase her down the hall when she would get her coffee with this electric car. So, you know, you, so you had uh, some hazing going on back in the day and then she just got tired of it and went on and she started her own company, even though she was told that she would never make it. And her motto is be so good. They can't ignore you. And that's exactly what she did. And she's running this $200 million uh, company right now based on believing that she could do it. So it's very inspirational. And really it's just advice for the young women who are coming up behind us and men, men as well, because these women are wildly successful. So uh, men can definitely uh, listen to it and get some good Mm -hmm. lessons learned. Yeah, no, it sounds incredible. I'm so excited to start listening to it. That story really reminded me of, uh, now I'm totally blanking on her name, which is sad, but um, the woman who just uh, took Bumble to the market after leaving Tinder. Uh, But anyway, it sounds like a very similar story to hers. So I'm so excited. And I always love hearing good, you know, success stories and especially from women. So that's so exciting. Um, And yeah, that's, that's just really awesome. So other than the podcast, is there anything like exciting and new coming up for you? Or are you really just focusing on, you know, telling these stories and getting them out into the world? Well, that was the one thing 
something that I've always wanted to do, even when I was a mm. uh, kid, I always wanted to be a writer and I always wanted to mm. tell stories. And that was one reason why I wanted to go out and be this international woman of uh, intrigue so I can have stories to tell. So when I mm. retired from the FBI in 2018, I decided I was going to be more creative. And uh, so I'm working on a television pilot right now. And I'm also um, working on a book um, that is about uh, navigating chaos, crisis, and change. I know we've had a pretty tough last year. So I, I'm hoping mm -hmm. that this is going to come in handy for, for people to be able to navigate chaos because chaos, uh, chaos, crisis, and change, you know, chaos can be managed and, um, you know, we can learn how to deal with these crises that happened and and uh, change is inevitable. So it's an, it's important for us to figure out how to um, just eliminate the chaos in our lives so it doesn't turn into a crisis. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. And, uh, you know, how timely. Yeah. <laughs> because all of us are just going through so much chaos and, and you know, uncontrollable. And I think that's that's something that a lot of people that I've spoken to, it's something that, you know, we always have chaos in our lives, but usually it was uh, somewhat in our control. You know, uh, we were making ourselves busy or we were making situations chaotic uh, when they maybe didn't need to be. But uh, now with the, with the pandemic, <laughs> you know, we can't control any of it. So I think that's someone like me that loves to control everything. Uh, it's something to handle. Yeah. Well, I tell people that just, you can eliminate chaos in your life. And the way that you do that one trick to do that, or one way to do that is to write a list of all of the things that you tolerate. So whether it could be bad behavior from people, it could be bad behavior from a coworker, um, you know, the leaky faucet in the kitchen, boxes that need mm -hmm. to be unpacked in the garage. So all of these things that we tolerate and we know we need to get to them, we know we need to fix them, but we don't. And that just one thing after the other, after the other, it all turns into chaos and, you know, and it makes your life feel very chaotic. But if you write a list and you say, okay, I need to do this, 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 and this, then just eliminate those one by one. And you'd be surprised at how much more space that you have in your mind and, and in your life when you get rid of all of those little things that are taking all the energy from us. So that's a, that's a tip that I have for anybody who has a lot of chaos in their life. They just need to start eliminating the things that they're tolerating. And I think they'll uh, be able to have a lot more space. Mm, I'm going to start doing that today. <laughs> uh, that sounds like something I for sure need to do. And sorry, when did you say your book is coming out? Do you have a date? So uh, we're working at, uh, with publishers right now. So it'll probably some, okay. be sometime next year. Uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> oh, awesome. I feel like uh, getting out of the chaos <laughs> yeah. might be good too. Um, so that's awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited for that. So I always end my episodes with uh, a series of lighter um, rapid fire questions just about yourself. So okay. um, whenever you're ready, we will get started with those. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> awesome. Okay. If you could hang with any five people, you know, dead or alive, famous friends, whoever, who would you choose? Oh gosh. <laughs> okay. So my dad, he passed away several years ago. Oh. Um, let's see who would I hang with. Um, 
gosh, do I, this is a rapid thing. <laughs> I have to come up with <laughs> Well, <laughs> you know, as rapid as it can be, I, this is a tough question. I always get pushed back on this one. Oh gosh, five. That's tough. I don't yeah. want to even hang out with five after this pandemic stuff. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, just based on the podcast that I'm working on, I would like to speak with women who came way before me, who mm. did amazing things. I mean, Amelia Earhart, I would love to speak with her to find out, you know, how driven she was and how innovative she was. So, I mean, I think if I, I, I don't, I can't name people specifically, but I would say mm-hmm. pioneers, any, any sort of pioneer. Um, those are the types of people that I'm fascinated with because they did something that nobody else could do. And they went out and mm-hmm. they did it and they made it easier for people coming behind them. So those are the type of people I'd want to talk to. Oh, I love that answer. So what is something that you got done because you were at home that you wouldn't have otherwise? Gosh, two podcasts. (laughs) Yes. Perfect answer because me too. Yes. (laughs) Um, So a couple more. Um, If you were to choose a different career path, what do you think it would be? Oh, gosh. Something very creative. Mm. But I don't know. I, I I like being that international woman of intrigue. So something mm. uh, something international and fabulous. Probably a business woman, an entrepreneur who who created some sort of fascinating business out of a niche that uh, nobody thought of. So that's probably yeah. What- yeah, I feel like that's an awesome answer. I feel like from your voice and your uh, interest now, I feel like you'd be a great journalist too. So I feel okay. like I could All definitely right. be in the mix, be yeah. a foreign correspondent or something. Yes, that would be that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's such a dream job for so many people, but there's just not enough of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Last question. Of course, there have been some, you know, negative outcomes of the pandemic, but what is your favorite positive outcome? You know, just slowing down and spending time with the people in my bubble and really Mm -hmm. having time to focus. My mom is 82 years old and just trying to keep her from running around town. I mean, that was quite a challenge in the beginning because she's so active in what she's doing. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've spent a lot of time going down to the beach and and getting shakes and, uh, you know, just visiting. I think that that was a, a really good thing is being able to spend the time with the people in my bubble. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds amazing. I'm so jealous. Uh, that's like the first place I'm going when we can travel is California. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. I think it's 80 um, degrees today. <laughs> oh, God. I'm looking out the window right now where I'm set up doing this and there's just snow all over. Oh, it's just making me sad. Um, but thank you so much, Gina. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, I just love hearing your stories and all the great advice you have. So uh, before we wrap up, where can we find your podcast, Lead a lady or where can we find more about you? Uh, so you can go to my website, Gina L. Osborne, O-S-B-O-R-N, Gina L. Osborne.com. And uh, you can learn about the website. You can learn about the coaching that I do, the executive coaching. And then also you can listen to the podcast on your favorite podcast provider from Spotify to iTunes. Uh, well, we're everywhere. Awesome. Uh, That is so exciting. So I'm really excited to listen to it and it sounds incredible. Uh, So thank you for joining me today. My pleasure, Aaliyah. Thanks for having me. I'm Alia Ballas and you have been listening to Can't Hang. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved today's show, please subscribe and don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Visit canhang.simplecast.com to check out all the incredible people I've interviewed and who's coming soon. Much love goes out to all those who have been posting about Can't Hang on social. Please tag me in your posts at Can't Hang Pod and please continue to send me suggestions of who you'd love to see in future episodes. I have an incredible lineup, but I'm always looking for people outside my bubble. Please tune in next Thursday and hang with me and my next guest. This show is produced by me, Alia Ballas, and the music was created by Quan. Thank you.